We brought our praises to God. And now as we turn to God's word, our prayer is that we might hear his voice. Last week with Aidan, we looked at the first few verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, thinking about the spiritual gifts that God shares amongst his people. And this week we delve deeper into that chapter and think about the message of unity. And so we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us by your spirit now in a way that we can hear and apply to our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. So do be seated and Ruth is going to read for us. So 1 Corinthians 12 verses 21 to 31. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God is appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. So, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts, and now I will show you the most excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ruth. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you this morning. Now, if I were to say to you, Percy Thrower, Fife Robertson, John Arlott, Cliff Mitchell-Moore, some of you are sitting there thinking, what is he talking about? And others are starting to nudge your neighbors and say, hey, I remember them. Straight away, I've divided you into two groups, those who say, I remember, and those who say, I haven't a clue. BBC presenters of the 1960s, for those who haven't a clue. What is my point? It's easy to divide. It's easy to divide 
but it's difficult to unite. In our passage in 1 Corinthians 12 that Ruth has just read, we're looking at the subjects of unity, how we are each called to be glue. Glue that binds the church. Glue that sticks diverse pieces together. Glue that unites. So shall we pray? Let's just pray together. Father God, we come to you this morning. We confess that often we think we know what is right for your church. Humbly we pray that we will be enabled to see your way, to know your plan, to hear your voice, that in submission to you we may play our part in keeping your church united in Christ. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, in this short series in 1 Corinthians, we started two weeks ago when Paul was talking to us about our practical gifts and our opportunities to serve. And last week, Aidan spoke to us about discerning our spiritual gifts. And today, we find that these very issues have become divisive, divisive in the young Corinthian church. Division was occurring in the church as spiritual gifts were wrongly being attributed as some type of superior faith. There was a sense of one-upmanship. Some of these gifts were almost looked at as trophies, a division between the haves and the have-nots. And so splits and resentment were present. Some of the church were feeling undervalued, not wanted. So Paul goes out of his way to address this hurt. His main point is that we value, not expose, differences. Not differences in fundamental belief, but differences in personality, differences in gifts. God has given complementary gifts which are to be valued. And the more vulnerable are to be treated with special honour and special consideration. There's no way that a body can do without one of its members. And God values all his church and has uniquely equipped each one to complement the other. More than that, those who seem weaker are indispensable. But notice what Paul says. He says, we think they are weaker, but they're not weaker at all. Foolishly, that's the way we have seen them. And it causes hurt. And it causes division. But God created diversity. We are different. Different personalities, different gifts, different temperaments. God has made us that way. So that we each bring something different into his church. But it's this very diversity that can bring division. John John Wesley tells of a dream that he had when he was concerned about the rise of denominations within the church. In the dream, he was ushered to the gates of hell. And when he got there, he said, are there any Presbyterians there? Yes, came the answer. Are there any Baptists, Anglicans, Methodists? Yes, came the answer to each one. 
He was distressed. But then in his dream, he goes from the gates of hell to the gates of heaven. And he asks the same question. And the answer comes back, no. No Anglicans, no Presbyterians. So Wesley said, well, who's inside then? And the answer comes back, only Christians. God values his children as individuals. And Paul's message here is that we should value each other as individuals. And particularly so, those who are more vulnerable. Now, to illustrate his point, Paul uses the illustration of personal modesty to show how we should respect and honour one another. We're called to honour those who are different, and we're called to protect and care for those, those who are perhaps not our first choice, those who perhaps we don't see eye to eye with, those who we might not call friends, but we absolutely can't say, I don't need you. Now, the stumbling block for the Corinthian church was spiritual gifts. And in verse 28, Paul lists some of those spiritual gifts to highlight that we don't all have the same gifting. And then he concludes in verse 31. He says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. I will show you the most excellent way. Okay, Paul, so you've gone on about spiritual gifts, which are important, but here is something that surpasses them. What is it? We're left dangling on a cliffhanger, aren't we? The chapter has been all about spiritual gifts, and then he says, here's the most excellent way. What is it? What comes next? It's a page-turner, as we turn the page to chapter 13. Sharon, if I could have that on the screen. Chapter 13, verse 1, you know it. If I speak with the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You see what he's doing? He's listing those gifts that he's just been expounding. But in his next breath, he shoots them down as worthless. Without what? Without love. Love is the answer. All these gifts are useless without love. Now, Aidan rightly pointed out last week that this passage is often read in the context of marriage. But this context has absolutely nothing to do with marriage. It couldn't be further removed. The context is almost civil war in the church. It's not platonic love at all. This is love in conflict. It's love for your enemies type love. This is not addressed to lovers, but to opponents. Not to friends, but to foes. So here we find the greatest gift. The gift above all gifts. The gift that is for all. The gift of love. Not everyone is a prophet. 
Not everyone is a teacher. Not everyone works miracles, but everyone is called to love, to love their brother and sister in Christ. This is the greatest commandment. This is the first fruit of the Spirit. This is the essence of God himself, because God is love. So this is the glue, the glue which will hold the church together, the glue which will mend it, support it, strengthen it, and as one it will enable it to grow and prosper and witness to the world. You remember what Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So we've got it. Love is the unifying glue that holds together those who would otherwise fall apart. And what are the characteristics of this love? Sharon, if I can have the next passage from uh, verse 4. Now remember this is not love between friends and lovers, but between those who disagree. And Paul says love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is love, sacrificial love, Christ-like love, costly love. Dick Hills wrote a book called Love is a Costly Thing. And in it, he quotes this. She was lying on the ground. In her arms, she held a tiny baby. As I put a cooked sweet potato into her outstretched hand, I wondered if she would live until morning. Her strength was almost gone, but her tired eyes acknowledged my gift. The sweet potato could do so little to help, but it was all I had. Taking a bite, she carefully chewed it. Then placing her mouth over the baby's mouth, she forced the soft, warm food into the tiny throat. Although the mother was starving, she used the entire potato to keep her baby alive. Exhausted from her effort, she dropped her head to the ground and closed her eyes. In a few minutes, the baby was asleep. Later during the night, the mother's heart stopped, but her little girl lived. Love is a costly thing, but it's love that's the glue that binds the church together. Selfless, forgiving, protecting, like a parent caring for a child. Love is a commitment, not a passing phase. It's about sticking with it, bearing the cost as Jesus did. This is active loving, the glue of unity 
not by avoiding conflict, but by actively loving. So what might active loving look like for us? Well, my mind goes to the lifeboat crew. They don't get paid. At a moment's notice, they have to jump up from the dinner table to put their life on the line to go and face the storm. They go to rescue people, some who have brought disaster on themselves. But they go without judgment and at great personal cost. They go to rescue the vulnerable. It's intentional. It's sacrificial love. It's a love that's not predicated on what they can receive, but what they can give. So what is it that we can sacrificially give to one another? There are many things that I could suggest this morning, but I'm just going to suggest one thing. Because it costs us nothing. I'm going to suggest that we give each other the gift of time. Time to spend with someone. Time to spend with somebody who would benefit from companionship. Time to create understanding. Time to provide support. Give the gift of time. With COVID, it's not easy, is it? Not easy to give time to others. But let me give you a challenge this morning. If you're able to walk, invite somebody to go with you. Extend the gift of time. Be bold. Be brave. Risk invites, inviting somebody for a walk. Perhaps somebody you might not immediately choose. Extend the arm of love to provide companionship, understanding, support. And if my experience is anything to go by, then you will be really blessed by doing that. And don't just do it once. Make a habit of it. If you're not able to walk, find a different way of giving the gift of time. Maybe a phone call, a pint, a cup of tea. And if you receive the invitation from somebody, say yes. Don't say I'm too busy. You extend the gift of time as well. Because this is the glue which will stick the church together. This is Christ's love in action. And don't sit waiting for an invitation. Don't sit looking at your phone waiting for it to ring. Take the initiative. There's somebody waiting for your phone call, for your invitation. Because love is about giving before it's about receiving. Love is the glue which, which Christ holds you to himself with. And love is the glue which holds you together with your brother and sister in Christ. Love is the glue which will bind the church together. Love is the glue which will ensure that no one is left out. No one is marginalised. And you can express love as the gift of time given to somebody else. Paul said to Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you 
In other words, be intentional about making your love for those in the church burn brightly. I was standing in the lunch queue a number of years ago at our head office in Pennsylvania when I heard an unmistakable voice behind me. Angel Ho was our customer service manager in Hong Kong. And I'd spoken to her several times a month over the last 10 years, but we'd never met. Didn't know what she looked like. I heard this voice and I turned around and there were four women standing behind me, two of whom were Chinese. One of you is Angel, I said. Yes, I'm Angel, came back a response. Is that you, Nigel? You really do exist. Maybe God is calling you to realize that love really does exist. That it's not a feeling, but it's an intentional action. An action he calls you to exercise to ensure that the body of Christ is united, every member valued, every member supported, every member loved. To do it this morning, be intentional before you leave. Make that contact, give an invitation, be the glue that binds the church together in the love of Christ. Walk is anyone? Amen.